1: Hey, everyone. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLB Pipeline. The top 100 prospect list is coming soon. Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on MLB Network and MLB.com. We're going to get into that a little bit. We're also going to... We're going to draft off the top 10 prospect list, serpentine style, the way Jim Callis prefers it. We're also going to talk about, right now, in your guys' opinion, which team has the best farm system. But I want to start by previewing that top 100 list. And we're excited, in order to do that, to welcome in Mike Soroka of the Braves organization. And, Mike, probably no surprise to you that uh, a lot of your fellow Braves prospects will be on this top 100 list. And I will tell you right now, you are among them. You're the only one that knows for sure that you're in the top 100 but we wanted you to take a guess at where you're going to land on saturday night
2: <laughs> um I, i've actually never been asked that question before so i <laughs> might have to think about Winter. that but uh are you uh, worried the
3: braves fans are going to say you've ranked yourself too low
2: <laughs> uh maybe am uh, debating whether to go with an aggressive uh guess or uh not but um you know i talked to jonathan a little bit and he had uh, mentioned to me about the, the top ten right-handed pitchers uh, list and uh, still mentioned to me that I was in the top third. So I'm going to say around 33.
0: Pretty close. That's, uh, we, we, won't, we won't divulge too much, but uh, that's, that's pretty good deduction skills by you. Uh, I will say this, Good Mike. Stuff. One more
1: one more from me here, and, and then the other guys can kind of take over this interview. But I just want to know do you pay attention? Um, I know you're going to be watching on Saturday night as far as seeing where your teammates fill in and, and all that kind of thing. But from a personal standpoint, um, how much do you pay attention to these kind of rankings?
2: Um, obviously, we see it. Um, I think it would be lying if they were present on social media and said they didn't see it. So um, I'm not going to deny that. But as far as uh what you put into it it's all up to you. Um like you said you're among some of the best of the best in the minor leagues and that's uh that's an honor so uh at that point it's almost nitpicked uh to death and you guys spend a ton of time on that so um it's it's something cool to see but uh also some some cool uh motivation to hear as well.
0: Uh, you know like you know, the the end of the day obviously it, you, you could be ranked high and and not end up being a good big leaguer and ranked low and end up being a superstar. You know, it it doesn't really uh, matter. But uh, Braves fans, uh, you know, they, to their credit, they they have bought all in into the the rebuild, into, you know, having one of the best farm systems in baseball. Uh, Jim and I hear it um, frequently, we'll say. Uh, and passionately from, from Braves fans about how guys are, are ranked. How does that filter down to you as a as a player, just in terms of uh, how many fans in Atlanta or Braves fans around the country, whoever, know who you are, know who Colby Allard is, know Ronald Acuna? I mean, the, the, the excitement for you guys to get to Atlanta seems uh, at, at almost at a fever pitch.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, like you said, uh, they put a lot into their rebuild, and they put a lot of media into that as well. A lot of exposure into the farm system, and um, mm-hmm. Braves fans are awesome. I mean, they always have our back. Uh, like you said, I know you guys hear a ton from them, and uh, it's uh, that's awesome to know that they're as involved as they are, and um, that's uh, exciting for us as well. I know I can speak for most of the other guys as well. They just want to get there uh, and then prove their worth in Atlanta, and hopefully for a long time. So. I think uh, that's pretty exciting to be there, and um, obviously we, we hear the buzz as well around minor league stadiums, around spring training. Um, even talking to guys that have been there for a while before, so uh, it, it's been a big jump in in fans among minor league prospects uh, with the Braves over the last couple of years, and uh, that's awesome. So,
3: Mike, I want to ask you about the the 2015 draft. Leading up to that, did you have an expectation that you were going to go in the first round. Obviously, velocity isn't everything, but at the amateur level, it seems like that's a big focus when people are looking at pitchers. And while you have a good fastball, I mean, you're not upper ninety. You weren't Hunter Green, but did you have an inkling you were going in the first round, or was that somewhat of a surprise when it happened?
2: I can't say I ever really expected it. Um, but coming out in 2015, I was kind of under the radar as it was, mainly because I never really attended many of the big showcases. You know, I went to Area codes and then Jupiter, and that was pretty much it. Um, but I was fairly uh, fairly exposed among scouts um, through the East Coast, especially because we were always down in Florida with Team Canada. And like I said, I came I came out throwing four or five miles an hour harder than I had the year before. Um, kind of had some help from Chris Rietzma and Paul Quantrill. Uh, kind of tweak little things, brought brought up the arm angle a little bit. And um, it, it kind of all took off. And one thing that uh, I know with my fastball, uh, even though on the radar it may not say, say as much, um, you know, I to a lot of guys, a lot of guys that have been there for a long time, and there's almost this un, unknown presence to a well-intended fastball uh, with 100% conviction that you just it's, – it's unmeasurable. Um, and so I've always kind of chased that as opposed to a number on the radar gun. Um, you know, that extra life on the baseball that you can't, uh, you can't see necessarily from the stands. It's uh, something that hitters say, you know, they just, they just don't see it. Some, some call it an invisible ball. So, um, you know, I, I think if I can keep that intent with my fastball, then the numbers don't really matter to me. But um, as far as when the drafts happened, I think it, it went up and up and up. And my expectation was that I was going to college coming into that year. Um, and then, obviously, things kind of took off a little bit, and uh, we we found out pretty soon that that was a definite possibility for me to go at the back end of the first round.
0: Yeah, I re- I remember Mike hearing your name starting to pop up. You, you you talked about the the trip that Team Canada makes down to Florida, and it seems every year, uh, you know, because uh, you, you know where you're from, you have to wait for things to warm up before you can. Play baseball. You go yeah. down there, and you're playing against good competition. And that was when I started hearing uh, your name more frequently. And but with that sort of as the context, I think the the general thinking would be like, even though you had a, a, a good feel for for pitching uh, that we've already kind of talked about, your cold weather high school guy, it's going to take you a while, right? You're going to move slowly. Then all of a sudden, here you are in Double A as a as a teenager. Were, were you at all surprised with how aggressive the Braves were, uh, you know, not only with you, but with you know, a lot of the young pitchers, you and Colby uh, Allard in particular, and, and how well you rose to and met that challenge.
2: Um, you know, I wasn't – well, I'm not going to say I was really surprised. Um, very grateful that they had decided to push us. And I have Baseball Canada to thank for that. Um, you know, Greg Hamilton runs that program with the junior team. And getting to play professionals for two years before I was even drafted, I hit that learning curve earlier than most high school or even, even some college guys would. Um, so just understanding that there's more to, yeah, just throwing hard, just having, having the big curve ball, um, just from the mental aspect and failure, uh, like I said, I hit that a lot earlier and I was able to bounce back quicker. Um, so once I got into pro ball, I, I told myself, you know, we are going to take every single pitch aggressively as possible. And, um, uh, the Braves are very known for not really putting too much into actual age and numbers on a, on a sheet. Um, they evaluate with their own eyes. They evaluate, um, not only the way you pitch, but the way you carry yourself between starts and, uh, the work ethic you put in. So I think from that standpoint, they've, uh, they've done an awesome job at giving, you know, like, you said, like I said, Colby and I a great chance at moving fairly quickly and, and uh, hitting those, those learning curves earlier because I feel like it's, uh, it's just easier to learn a little bit when you're younger. Um, that's, that's awesome, and I've had a great time doing that.
3: Mike, what do you think is your, your best pitch? I mean, you're pretty consistent with all, all three of your pitches. What do you think is your best pitch, and, and which one do you think needs the most work at this point?
2: When it's, uh, when it's on, it's definitely my – I classify it right now as a power curve. Um, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of days it, it might be a slider. It might be a little uh, slider-ish or slurvish, ish if you want to say. Um, but when it's on, I'm on top. And usually it's around mid-80s, and it's, it's got more downward action than, than horizontal action. So I'd say that's my best one. But, um, you know, I think day in, day out, it's going to be my sinker. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to put everything into the sinker, because that's what we're avoiding uh, is becoming... The label of just kind of pounding the bottom of the zone with one pitch—that's um, not the goal. Um, That's—it's an awesome weapon to have, and I think it's—it's it's kind of come to where my two fastballs have separated finally. Um, yeah, I have a true four-seam. Uh, I might run a little bit, but now I have a true sinker as well. So I had—I uh, had trouble when I first signed and first started throwing both of them that they would kind of blend. And now being able to separate them gives the hitter two different looks at basically the same speed. So that's uh, that's awesome plus to have.
0: Mike, you know, we've mentioned now Colby Allard a, a couple of times. You guys kind of being able to go through the process together, get pushed aggressively together, spent last year in Double A together. Uh, I know that uh, as a result of all that, uh, you know, there, there's been a, a strong bond between the two of you. Uh, I, I know, you know you hung out with him during the off season in, in California. Somehow, you convinced him to come up to Calgary during the winter, um, yeah. Which is remarkable to me. But just talk a little bit about uh, the the friendship that has been forged between the two of you, and and how that makes the the grind of doing what you guys are doing maybe a little bit easier.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, it started right from draft day. Um, he knew me a little bit uh, just just from Team Canada versus Team USA. Uh, pitched against him a couple of times, and um, I, you know, I think I messaged him on whatever, Twitter Instagram where I got his number from somewhere and uh, said ho- hopefully we're spending a ton of time together over the next few years uh, and hopefully the rest of our careers. But, um, you know, he's, he's awesome to have just, just from – aside, friendship aside, just from baseball standpoint, I think um, mentally we're very similar. Uh, we take very similar approaches on the mound. Um, Even though our stuff's a little different, uh, we pitch a little differently. I think being able to bounce things off him and uh, it it goes a long ways from learning. Um, You know, we we talked talked a ton with uh, Derek Lewis, our pitching coach this year, and just having him going through the same thing and knowing that you know these things are normal, um, and and being able to to get his take on some things, it, it opens up a little a little view and. One thing I've taken from him is learning how to relax a little more on game day. Um, he's pretty mellow uh, as far as most pitchers go, most starting pitchers on game day. Um, and I was kind of the opposite going in there. You know, I, I wouldn't even sit down between innings in the dugout. It, was, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a bad thing. It was just almost unsustainable from an intensity standpoint for me. Um, and just little things like that that have gone a long ways, especially this year, uh, from consistency standpoint. Um, he's been he's been awesome, and, and I hope I get to do a, a ton more with him as well.
3: Mike, I want to ask you about another one of your teammates. Uh, you know, you were fortunate to get to watch Ronald Acuna for part of his breakout year last year. Just tell fans who maybe haven't seen Ronald play what kind of player he's going to be. Okay, I mean, he's I, we yeah. saw him in the Arizona Fall League. And it was pretty fun to watch him down there.
2: Yeah, no, he's he's amazing, and it's, it's kind of funny because I watched him in the GCL when I first signed, and he wasn't really a big name yet, but you could tell he swung the bat kind of like nobody else did, even at that point. And I, got, I went up to Danville shortly before he came up, and I said, guys, like this kid, he, he's got some scary pop. I know you look at him, and you might not think so, um, but the way he swings the bat, you know, it almost, almost told them he might have as much pop as Riley does. And at that point they were all kind of skeptical. And, and he proved himself pretty soon in the Braves organization um, to be special. And just seeing how he takes pitches and his approach at the plate is kind of, it's scary really. Um, he's in spring training and, and he's just dominating on the backfield. He doesn't take the pitch off ever. And I think that's going to be what makes him amazing. Uh, tools aside, he's one of the guys that he competes just as hard as anybody I know at the plate. So I know you know, if he goes through ruts and stuff like that, which he will, um, just like all of us will, I think uh, that's going to be his calling card to be able to separate himself um, and be able to produce even when he's not at his best. So I think from that standpoint, he's extremely special.
1: Mike, the Top 100 show obviously coming up on Saturday. I think we've convinced you to, to definitely tune in and tweet about it. Is that true?
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'll be doing that. Um, just, I just wanted to see a couple examples from last year, um, just to see what kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, looking at Baseball America's Top 100, there's a lot of guys that I've played a game um, and, and seen a lot of. So. I'll uh, be able to give a little insight there, so I'm excited.
1: All right, so Braves fans and and all Prospect fans, obviously, uh, check out the show. And if you want to follow Mike on Twitter, if you don't already, it's Mike underscore Soroka 28. And you can tune in for his insight into the top 100. Mike, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Awesome. Thank you guys so
1: much. Great stuff there from Mike Soroka. And I know anybody that's listening out there is probably just amazed that we got a Brave To uh, to come on the pipeline, you had to go there. And Tim's not going to be the one who
3: gets killed on Twitter for that remark, (laughs) either.
1: Uh, But he did, and he was great. Obviously, Uh, he talked. What it seemed like it kept coming back to listening to that interview and, and everything is that the value that can be taken from a group of prospects kind of coming through the system together. You mentioned Allard and, and obviously played with Acuna. If you can get a group of great prospects together, they come up together, they learn to play together, win together. It can only be a benefit when they get to the big leagues.
0: Oh, w- without question. And, you know, there's always a roll of the dice when you sort of hit that reset, rebuild button and you want to. Keep bringing in prospects, uh, and and the Braves were very aggressive in getting younger guys who are far away, and so you don't know how it's going to work. And then to see all of them take steps forward, kind of at the same time. You know, not not everybody has developed as quickly as Soroka and, and say Allard have, uh, but uh, they're they're starting to have a, a critical mass reaching the upper levels with waves behind them, and that's. Where you get to sort of sustain success in your farm system following players up or being used as trade baits once they start winning, so uh, it, it it is a good sign uh, that what has been set in motion in the Braves system uh, seems to be working.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it there's no uh, it's no secret this is a major league team that's going to be a lot better in a couple of years than it has been the the last couple. The thing that struck me during the interview and it really wasn't that much of a surprise. I mean, when you talk to scouts about Soroka they talk about how cerebral he is on the mound and and I thought he was one of the better guys we've interviewed I mean very very yeah. thoughtful you know you know well thought out answers uh so I mean it was kind of even evident during the podcast uh, we got to see him at the futures game too this year uh you know it's you know, one thing when you're talking about teams that that have you know the best farm systems in baseball and these great collections of young talent it seems like a lot of times they're better a year quicker than you think like the cubs Jumped into contention in 2015 or went to NLCS in 2015. I think surprised a few people with how good they were that year when they broke through. The Astros broke through in 15, regressed a little bit in 16, won the World Series in 17. It would not surprise me, especially if their young pitching, making some of those guys break through to the big leagues, if the Braves were a surprise contender this year. And it wouldn't shock me just based on how good the stuff is and how well he uses it. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things we're doing for our many Top 100 Prospects projects is identifying the best tools. I think Mike Soroka's got the best control of anybody on our Top 100 list, best control and command. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was pitching in the second half in Atlanta as part of a playoff race.
1: They're going to get to play a lot of games against the Marlins and a lot of games against another team that's similar to them in the Phillies that's rebuilding, um, and then who knows what the Mets will be. But it's not exactly the strongest division, so that's going to help them out as well.
0: Right. I think uh, you know, even if they're not competing, I think they could be that team that's young, and teams that are really in the playoff hunt don't want to play down the stretch because you end up losing you know, games to teams like that. So even if they're not quite there, uh, I think they're going to be a, a, a fun team to watch, and a lot of these guys they're, you're going to start seeing in Atlanta this season.
1: So they're obviously in the discussion as far as best minor league systems. We covered them a little bit right there. They're not alone. There's other teams that can kind of boast that and whose fan bases are are proud of what's coming up for sure. So let's get into that a little bit. You have the Braves. I think you you have the White Sox and everything they've done. It Seems like the Padres are coming quick. I mean, I get both of your takes, Jim. What what would you say top three systems right now? Because we can't talk about the top one hundred until Saturday. So let's go broader and speak about Well, teams. we
3: we don't have to necessarily say where guys are ranked, but I right. mean I, I mean look, those are the three teams that have more top one hundred prospects than anybody. Yeah. They have more prospect points, which is a not the most scientific method, but you give hundred points to number one prospect and so on down to one for the number one hundred prospect. Those three teams have the most prospect points. Not that again that means you're the best farm system, but I, I I was playing around with it a little bit and I think those are the top three farm systems right now. Uh we'll we'll find out Jonathan's answer in a second. I think the Padres are the best farm system in baseball right now. I, I would go with the Padres. I think they have the deepest farm system in baseball. Um I think they have an unbelievable amount of talent I mean, there aren't too many teams that have a better hitter-pitcher-prospect combination than Fernando Tatis Jr. and Mackenzie Gore. You also have Luis Urias, who could, you could argue is as good as any hitter in the minor leagues just about in terms of pure hitting ability. Um, and then you have a ton more pitching behind those guys, and, and guys like Cal Quantrill and, and Michelle Baez and Adrian Morhone and Logan Allen. And I feel like I'm forgetting another Padres pitcher who's really, really good. So I, I would give the Padres a slight edge – I would probably go Padres, one, White Sox, two, Braves, three, but it's all very close.
0: At Jim Callis MLB (laughs) Braves fans. Hey, I'm just giving my honest opinion. Uh, (laughs) I, you know, I one of the things that you know we have to do when we actually do dig into the top ten farm systems is it does go beyond the top 100 and it's you know depth of farm system and the Padres are very deep um you know i do the braves top 30 so sometimes familiarity you know it, it's a fun list to put together because there are more than 30 players worth writing about potentially and that's always a good sign so uh you know off the top of my head i'm you know i could see the padres being one uh without questions so they could be one the braves would be two white Sox would be three i think but um you're, you're you know you're, you're splitting hairs at a certain point in time because you when you have three systems like that that are really good and they all have top level guys who are really good then it's going to be like well twenty five to thirty I like these guys a little bit better it's such a subjective process but I I think you could you could throw those three teams into a hat and say this is going to be the order of the top three farm systems. Uh, and, and I wouldn't vehemently disagree with it. And it really doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. I
3: mean, we, we care. We try to get the rankings it right. It matters. No, no I'm <laughs> saying those,
0: those are your three elite farm systems. And
3: whether we rank you first, second, or third, if I'm a fan of any of those teams or I work for one of those teams, the future is very, very bright.
1: Yeah, certainly. And we're going to move on from that and get to the top 10 position list serpentine draft, which everybody's <laughs> been waiting for. Before we get to that, though, uh, we want to... Take a moment to tell you about the cut forecast The Cut Forecast is the podcast from the staff of MLB.com's Cut Force section which focuses on the lighter side of baseball. If you've made it into this podcast this far which you have if you're hearing this we really think you'll enjoy it. It'll make you laugh and you might even learn something about baseball dogs or ballpark food. Last week Dakota and Gemma were joined by Jake and Jordan of Cespedes Family Barbecue to discuss their tryouts to become two of the Nationals' racing presidents in 2018. I hope they didn't win because they work here in new york and that would be a bit of a struggle if that sounds like something you want to hear search cut forecast that's cut the number four c-a-s-t and apple podcast or wherever else you get your podcast and click subscribe now on with the show well the biggest decision whenever we do these serpentine drafts is who has the first pick and then who gets to pick two three so i ripped up some paper and we did the uh pull the short straw pull the long straw jonathan you pulled the longer piece of ripped paper which means that you had the choice, and you're going with picks two and three. So, Jim, you have the first pick in the 2018 Top 10 Positional List Serpentine Draft. Just to explain what we're doing, we're filling out a roster, first base, second base, third base, shortstop catcher, one outfielder. I know there's a debate there. A right-handed pitcher and a left-handed pitcher. You don't have to go in any order. You can go from any of the lists at any time and fill it up, and, and Jim has the first pick.
3: And Tim's creating a new sport here where we only need one outfielder to field a team, but that's fine. These are very talented outfielders. <laughs> you need good range. But good. Uh, yeah, as you guys may have suspected, and you may already know, I'm a little competitive uh, when it comes to these serpentine drafts, so I did a little prep. I, w- I was making, since I knew we were only I only had to have two names these each position. And the funny thing is, on almost every position, I don't think that there's a big difference between the guy who's number one on the list and then an alternative pick. So I'm actually glad I have number one because there's only one position where I, there's a guy I clearly wanted more than number two guy. Yeah, I know who you're taking. Who do you um, think I'm taking? Ta- you, I bet you're wrong. Who do you think I'm taking? I thought you were going to take Vlad Jr. It's not going to be Vlad Jr., because Nick Sanzel's at third base. Yeah, that's true. And Nick Senzel's one of the best prospects in baseball. Jim that's did research. True. I, I, I put way too much time into this. I'm going to take, but okay, who's my second favorite prospect? Or who's my favorite pitching prospect, if, if I'm not taking Vlad?
0: You're not taking Shohei, are I'm you? I'm
3: taking Mackenzie Gore. Come on. I'm taking <laughs> Mackenzie Gore. Wow. I think he stands out to me among the left-handed pitchers more than any of these other guys stand out at their positions. So even though McKen- we can't say where he ranks on the, on the top 100, I will say he's outside the top 10, but I'm still taking him because I'm going to be able to fill out a, a good team even if I get my second choice at some of the other
1: positions. So I will take Mackenzie Gore. Right, now remember, when you look at the top ten list, there are actually two players. Right? That How does that work? Can play two different. I I feel like the way we're going to handle that is you're you're just adding dra- You're you're adding depth to your team. Well, you, you I think position. you have to declare what Do we position. We have to declare what yeah. Where you're putting him play into play your yes. lineup. You have to declare if you're taking him. I, I guess that pitcher. would help
3: solve your outfield problem. If you took Otani, then yeah. you could have two outfielders. Right. you you'd, you'd win this.
1: This challenge right there. there. Go. I'm going to post these on Twitter <laughs> afterwards, and people can take into account the, the two-way system. On so whoever, whoever gets grade. a
3: Tani is going to have two outfielders. are going to be so much better defensively than the other guy.
1: Yeah, hey, that's, you're the one who did Showhead. all the research. Anyway, Jonathan,
0: you have picks two and three. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna take Shohei Otani. I will take Vladimir Slipping. Guerrero. He's uh, like well,
1: the Aaron Rodgers of this. I, I will. <laughs>
0: yeah, I will take Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at third base. As much as I do love Nick Senzel, is actually one of my favorite guys, and I, I do the Reds list, so I get to write him up, and uh, uh, he he is one of my favorites. Um, and then I think I'm gonna go. Uh, uh, do I go position scarcity or do I just go with the like the, the, the you know what I'm taking Ronald Acuna, I you know the tools just uh, I can't ignore him I don't I don't care that there's a lot of good outfielders. Hey, if you're starting a team with Guerrero and Acuna here, well, both good. of these teams are going to be ridiculous. Yeah, but all right, but go well, what's
3: nice is now that means that I can now take.
1: You're playing right into his hand, <laughs> apparently, Joe.
3: You can I, wait. I can now take Nick Senzel and Eloy Jimenez with my last two picks. So yeah, that's right. I'm that's not. I'm not. Uh, so don't true. don't
1: pencil them into my lineup yet. These
3: these guys are also good. Well, I guess. um it's such a weird draft because, like, if I take Gleber Torres and I pass up Fernando Tatis Jr., and right. there's no real difference. So, is there an advantage in doing that? I could come back
1: in five years and see how these teams sure turn will.
3: out. I'm just going to take the two best guys on the board. I will take Shohei Atani. So, now my outfield defense, he'll take him as a right-hand pitcher. My outfield defense will be twice as good as Jonathan's because we'll just have so much more ground covered. And, and I will take Glaber Torres over Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, just because I think he's the other
1: best player remaining on the board. Besides Eloy Jimenez, who I can wait on, we should be live tweeting this, but the <laughs> podcast won't be out yet. All right, so that's four and five. So it goes back to Jonathan for pick six All I'm going to
0: say is that uh, yeah, Shohei Otani's got to play. You know, a two man outfield. He's going to be so tired. His pitching is not going to be nearly as good. I, I'm just gonna I'm going to leave it at that. So now you have me like, oh, I should wait because I can take my left handed pitcher whenever I want to. True. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. Both yeah. your pitchers. Right. I can, I can definitely wait uh, on both of my pitchers. So I should go uh, – so neither of us have taken a first baseman or a second baseman. Correct. Or a catcher. Or a catcher. Yep. I'm going to take Francisco Mejia as my catcher and uh, hope the defense is good enough to let the bat play. And uh, then I think – You could always put him at third and put Vlad in the outfield, Then you could have two outfielders too. Wow. I like the way you think. But no catcher. Then You have a lot of pass balls. But <laughs> that's true. Could I put like just like a pitch back thing? Could that be my catcher? Um, you got to take a pitcher with good control. Yeah, I I think you know what. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to take a pitch to contact. I'm going to take Forrest Whitley as my as my right hander. Uh, you know he he uh, made a huge jump up on, on our top ten right handed pitchers list. Uh, he's at number two, right behind uh, Mister Otani. Back to you, Jim Callis.
3: Well, I'm just going to play strategically here and go for the two positions where nobody's been taken. Yes. Um, I will take Brendan McKay yeah. as my first baseman. Sure. But I can also use him. As, I, now I have three pitchers. This is I have the most versatile team. Uh, it's, it's just crazy. Um, I'll take Brendan McKay. Joe and, Madden wants this team. <laughs> that's right. right. We're going to draft him as manager in a moment. <laughs> and then I'm going to go... I'm going to take Luis Urias, not our number one second baseman, but, like, neck and neck with Scott Kingery. That was a position where I was, like, just determined you could have whoever you want. I'll be happy to take the other guy. Yeah. And I I just – I love Luis Urias' bat. And we mentioned this when we talked about the rookie program – I had the best time talking to him about the Potter's farm system for like 15 minutes. We were waiting to do an interview. He was and, and talking about that Peoria team. He was on the Fall League with Ronald Acuna and a bunch of other guys too. He he was just fun to talk to. So, so he's, a good he, he's already planning good for like rain guy. delays. Yeah, so he's exactly. T- t-
0: like even if he doesn't hit, I can talk to him about <laughs> prospects. <so laughs> the, the yeah, he can he can join the broadcast booth in any of a number of languages. Uh, uh, it's actually why I didn't take second baseman is I was looking at it and I couldn't decide which one I wanted. So I figured I, I'd to I you. thought that was the least
3: priority position of them all because it. It's it's just a toss
0: up. Right. So, um I will take Scott Kingery as my second baseman. Uh, the power speed combination is uh, is is definitely uh, one to to really keep an eye on and uh, what do I still need there? You need a first baseman, a shortstop and a left-handed pitcher. Wow. All right, I'll take I'll take um, Fernando Tatis Jr as my shortstop. I'm happy with that. You can't the, go in, wrong in, in the shortstop. Eight, no, no. That's another one where uh if you know, if I had taken Torres, you'd ha- happily take Tatis. So it uh, it works. Twelfth pick to Jim Callis.
3: Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and. Uh, well, I mean, we're now we're just filling out positions. I'll go ahead and take what do I need? I need. Oh, I'll take Nick Senzel, at third base. You guys know what... I can't believe he lasted
0: to the seventh round. Or whatever
3: it says. <laughs> <laughs> we, we should have had Tim draft, too. Then there would have been a little bit more strategy
0: in That's here. True. We should true. have done that. We a should have worked lot. him in. Next year.
3: And, gee, I'll get Eloy Jimenez uh, with my next pick. So I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I feel like I've got, like, four of the best six or seven prospects in baseball right now.
0: Okay. And so uh, I need... Uh, I'm going to take Ryan McMahon, who can play every infield position pretty much. So that gives me some more flexibility. I may even teach him to play, uh, play the outfield. But, so but then be, you're going to be
3: throwing the ball across the diamond. There's going to be nobody at first base.
0: He's so good, he will get. It'll be like uh, right Bugs, field first it'll base. Be Bugs Bunny. Got gotcha. you. Okay. Um, and then uh, I feel like I should do something different with the uh, with the left handed pitcher. So number two on the list was AJ Puck. I, I don't I don't think I want to take AJ Puck. Um, I don't, I'm not sure why so he's going to appease Braves fans here. I'm, I'm predicting
3: Jonathan's going to try to, appease I am Braves not fans. taking That's, this whole that podcast. Is, that is, is about, not making Braves that fans is entirely
0: happy. not true. I am not taking Luis Gahara or Colby Allard. What about Max free or Max free? Well, <laughs> okay. they have a lot of lefties. Or Joey. Right? Wentz. Joey once Wentz isn't on the top 10. How dare <laughs> us not put him on the top 10? You know what? I'm going to take a shot and I'm going to take Jesus Lazardo. Wow. I'm going down to number eight. I'm gonna go upside right. there. I there think by this time next year he's gonna be at the top of this list. Well, not the top of this list because I don't says, like Hi. Mackenzie Gore as much as Jim Callis um, because no one does. But uh, maybe he'll slot in right be right behind him. All right, just Jim. mix it up a little bit. Final pick is your catcher
1: Francisco Mejia unavailable. That's fine because
0: I,
3: I think Kieber Ruiz might be mm. when all is done close to as good hitters Francisco Mejia. And Is a better a defender. No, that's so I'm, I'm taking Keybert Ruiz. It, like Carson, I said, it was interesting. We're just doing a two-team draft, and once the guy takes one position, you don't have to take that position. True. The only position where I really wanted a guy more than the second choice was, was McKenzie Gore, a left-hand
1: pitcher. And you went and got him. Well, you know, we'll put more thought into this next time around.
0: Maybe I'll, I'll get we'll involved. We'll have to have That'll you do like like have a little more strategy. We, get, uh, we can get Mike Rosenbaum. We could get Jason Ratliff. Why not get Mike Soroka? Mike Soroka. Well, he, he was on top
1: of it. He was. All right. Uh, just to fill people in on the full teams now that you have selected. Jonathan's roster. First base, Ryan McMahon. Second base, Scott Kingery. Third base, Guerrero Jr. Shortstop, Tatis Jr., the juniors there. That's right. Uh, on the left side. Catcher is Francisco Mejia, the outfield, Acuna. And then you have Forrest Whitley as your righty, Lazardo as your lefty. Yeah. For Jim, Brandon McKay, first base when he's not pitching. Luis Urias is your second base. We, we do like him better as a hitter. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Senzel is it's my team. It's the
3: team organization. That's how we look at him.
1: Senzel at third, Gleber Torres at shortstop. Kiebert Ruiz, the catcher. Eloy Jimenez in the outfield. And the NAF of Otani when he's not playing the outfield in right, the right-handed pitcher. And then Mackenzie Gore, the number one overall pick in the 2018 <laughs> top 10 position list uh, serpentine draft. Just like he should have count, been so. in the 2017 oh amateur draft. <laughs> yeah, so feel free to shout out on Twitter and tell us whose team's better. I'm going to list these results out at some point so. uh, after this goes live, I guess. Fantastic. And, uh, and we'll see. You could set that up as a vote. Yeah. I'll see what I can do. I might. I might need help from the bigger uh, Twitter experts and YouTube. But all right, that is going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast, the Top 100 Prospects Show, coming up Saturday night, eight o'clock Eastern Time on MLB Network and MLB.com. If you're on Twitter during the show, there's going to be numerous prospects who are going to be on there tweeting. As far as Jim and, and Jim and Jonathan also, and the Pipeline account, there'll be all sorts of stuff going on. So definitely tune in to social media as well as the show itself. Thanks for joining us. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in next time.